we're going to now segue to what we're going to study tonight. And we're going to study, and I'm going to do a kind of a two or three part series on this. And um, the, a critical study for men is to understand three kings in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And if you can understand these three kings, it actually sets the tone of who you're following. The first king is the first. Uh, the first king of Israel is Saul. Okay, he's the first king we're going to look at. The second king is King David, and then the third king is Absalom, David's son. And when you look at all three it actually will help you in dealing with a lot of life because what, what path you take in life will either be usually in one of those three categories. Obviously, you want to be in the David category, and the David category ends up leading to the anointed one, the Messiah, obviously, okay? But it's real tricky in our walk with the Lord, that we don't fall into the Saul category or the Absalom category. And so I want to take you through that in kind of a probably two or three part series. So what we're going to first focus in on is I want to focus in tonight on Saul and his relationship to David. And here's the, 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 the theme of this. Handling the spear indicates which lines of kings we follow. Now, this will make more sense when we get into the text, okay? But I'm looking at two chapters in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, okay? And, and, and I want to start with Hosea, because I want you to, to, to understand some concepts before we jump in. Hosea 8.4 says this, They set up kings, but not by me, the Lord says. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. And so this is the Lord telling Hosea, the prophet, to Israel, they're setting up leaders in your country that I did not approve of. They're setting up rulers and princes that I did not approve of. They themselves put them in there. And that's important to understand even with Saul. Saul was installed because the people wanted a king like the world. They wanted a worldly king, and that's what Saul represented and so we're going to look at that monarchy and how it relates to David. And so when you think about what's happening today, what do you do when the king is crazy? You, you, you catching what's going on here? Okay. We got a lot of crazy kings right now that are actually over us. Saul is the quintessential example of a mad king he's out of his mind he's crazy he's actually being demon oppressed he's so crazy what do you do if you're david in this situation when your king is mad okay so think about this we got a lot of mad kings right we got joe biden looking hitler-esque in that last thing right we got gavin newsom looking like the joker and he, by the way, he's going to try to run for presidency, from what I hear, from rumors. Uh, can you imagine that? You know, wow. Of course, you got George Soros being the globalist king. You got Bill Gates. You got Klaus Schwab. 
uh, telling everyone what to do, petting his skinless or hairless cat. And, and we got some pretty creepy guys. But believe it or not, these people run the world. And they're crazy. They're mad like King Saul. And they're doing things that doesn't help anyone. Especially people like David. And so this sets the tone for all of us. That's what we're at. Now let me give it to a more personal level. It has to do with authority in a lot of ways. I want you to think about all the bosses you've ever had. I want you to think also about all the coaches you've ever had. Because when we were little, our coaches really were our bosses in that sense. And in that sense, they were rulers over us, our bosses and coaches and stuff like that. As I reflect on my own life and I look at all the coaches I've ever had and I look at all the bosses I've ever had, I find a remarkable thing when I look at my past about them. And the thing that jumps out to me is I had very few good bosses or good coaches. Very few. I wonder why. I mean, like, some of my coaches were dirt balls. Just dirt balls. But then I went, when I went to college, I had excellent coaches, man. I mean, and they weren't even believers, guys. They weren't believers. But there, there were people that claimed to be believers, and they were, they were scumbags. So I go to an atheistic college, and I have atheistic coaches, and they end up being the, the best guys in the world, uh, my head coach and then my pitching coach, fantastic guys. Why is that? How about you? Have you had good? I hope you've had good. Have you had bad? Plenty of them. You might have a bad, a bad boss right now. I hope you have a good one. It, it, it makes life so much easier, doesn't it, when you have a good boss? Life is so much easier. And I really, I look back in life and I, I look back at and appreciate the good coaches I had. I mean, because that was like finding a diamond in the rough, man. It was like finding gold. And I look back and I'm like, even my kids' coaches are trash. They're just trash. Even in college, they're no good. They're horrible human beings. They claim to be Christian, but they're absolutely horrible human beings. Um, And I I look at that and I'm like, what's the whole purpose of this? Here's my question. Why, Lord, do you keep allowing these nincompoops to be in positions of power over all of us? Why is that happening? Because I can't hardly take it. You know, you go from one bad boss, one bad coach, and it just keeps going on. You're like, I don't even want to be a part of this anymore. There's something to that. David is in a hellish experience because Saul has went crazy. And he is in a hellish experience under him. And it's really, really bad. Let's look at it. Let's explore it. And let's take some application from it. When David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, talking about Goliath, right? And then slaughtering the rest of the Philistines. That the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands 
and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the same displeased him. It galled him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Sound like the kind of boss you've ever had? He's intimidated because you're a bright and shining star and you might actually take his position because you're so good. You might take the organization over because you're so good and now you have become a threat because the people seem to like you better than they do Saul. You see what's going on here? You see the dynamic. What's brewing? Now, what more can he have but my kingdom? He's threatening to take my company. He's threatening to take my position. He's threatening me. So Saul eyed David, and the Hebrew is, it's a double entendre. It means sought to kill him. From that day point, that day on, he's going to look to keep David down, but also look to kill him because he's a threat to Saul's throne and his dynasty. And so now that's the, the, the drama. Now, and it happened, look how crazy he gets, that on the next day, that the distressing evil spirit from God came upon Saul. So just to do some backwards uh, looking at this, in a couple of chapters before this, Saul had the kingdom taken away from him, by the way. And uh, he lost the dynasty and, and God removed the Holy Spirit from him and sent a demon to harass Saul as a penalty for what he had done. So he's, he's, he's done at this point, okay? So now this evil spirit keeps coming back to Saul and harassing them. This is what we call demonic oppression, okay? So it's, it's doing that. Um, and the spirit came, uh, came from God upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as the other time. So what they had done is once Saul started getting harassed by the demon, they would bring David in to play his music. And David had this, this lyre. It looks like a little small guitar thing, and you would strum it. And David was very adept at that. That's why most of the Psalms are, are songs, actually, that David composed and so they would have David come in with those psalms and play that music in front, and it would actually drive the demon away and give Saul some rest. But anyway, so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. So here's the thing. Saul is so crazy, he constantly has his hand on the spear. Constant. It's in his hand when he's leisuring around, whatever. he's constantly carrying the spear. In essence, in other words, he has his finger on the nuclear button. He's always ready to go off, if that makes sense. And so what does Saul do? And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. So he didn't do it just one time, he did it a second time. Okay? So David is, is being threatened with I'm going to kill you. And he literally had a spear thrown at him from Saul. Okay. What do you do when the king starts throwing spears at you? Is a question that all of us have to answer. Whether that's a boss or an authority figure 
or Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden or whatever, they are starting to throw spears at you. So what do you do if you're David? Okay. Well, first I want to point out this. David never, ever goes into victimhood. He never goes there. He could have said, poor me, this guy's trying to kill me, yada, 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 but he doesn't do that. He knew that the Lord had called him to be the next king, okay? So he's, he's gonna stay there and deal with this and not run, okay? So that's first of all, he's not playing the victim. David knows his destiny. His destiny is to be the king. Therefore, his destiny is in the hands of God not men. So David will actually stay in there. He will dodge the spear, but he won't leave yet. And he will try to make best as he could, as he can. And so that tells you something about how we are to respond to the spears that are now being thrown at us, whether that's in your job, your school, or whoever's throwing spears at you, we have to respond as David is responding. So the first thing is we're not victims, okay? We have a lot of stuff being thrown our way. Let's continue on though. Now Saul was afraid of David. Why? Well, because the Lord was with him. How did, how did Saul know that the Lord is with David? Because every time he threw a spear, he can't hit him. He can't hit him. David will dodge, David will move, whatever, and he's in close range. And he, 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 can't, he can't get him. He can't get him. So Saul realizes he's being protected supernaturally. Okay? Now understand this, going into the time frame that we're in, there's a lot of spears being thrown our way. But God is with us. And he, if you just keep doing what David will do, God will make those spears miss you. But you gotta do it right. You gotta play the game right. We'll show you. But the Lord had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Now, what is that? Um, came in and came out before the people is a Jewish idiom for going to war. You go out to war, then you come back from war. And that's how they said it. So Saul's plan to get him killed, if he can't kill him, then here's what I will do. I will put him in the battlefield and just by, by the sheer numbers of the Philistines and other people he's going to fight, at some point he's gonna get killed if he keeps fighting. So I'm going to put him head over my troops. It'll look like an honor, but it really won't be an honor. It'll actually end up killing him. So that's how he stages it. And so this is the setup for David. But what happens? Verse 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that, <laughs> that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. So what happens? He sends him out to war and David doesn't die. He continues to rout people and destroy the Philistines and other uh, pagans that they're fighting. 
So it doesn't work. The plan doesn't work. And in fact, David is more loved now and more popular, and his fame is growing as a great warrior. So every time he tries to kill him, David becomes stronger in the Lord, more powerful. Now, here's what you've got to take away from this. He behaved wisely in all his ways. It's a key thing. When someone is throwing spears at you, you must behave wisely. And again, I'm not answering that yet. I will show you at the end. But that is the key if you're going to survive in this world as they constantly are throwing spears at us, right? Keep following with me. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Okay, so now we got the inside being told, we've got to stop this guy. Let's send the FBI and raid Mar-a-Lago and then maybe we can get him on something. You understand, this is kind of the same tactic. We're going inside and we're going to plan to kill this guy. We're going to assassinate him. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David and actually was good friends with David. Remember that? So let me ask you this. Let's stop and let's go into the world now. Why is David such a threat to Saul? Number one, he sees the Lord's with him. The guy could possibly take his kingdom. Saul doesn't know about David being anointed, by the way, to be the next king of, 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 of Israel. So Saul is just assuming this, and he's threatened by it. So let, now let's move to the question for us. Why do they see us as a threat? I just want to live my life. I just don't want to be bothered by people and their nutty programs and their nutty agenda. I just want to be left alone to live my life, raise my kids, and serve the Lord. But for some reason, I'm a threat to them or you're a threat. Why? Why do they even care about you? Think about this. Why does Saul care about David? Saul has all the power. He has all the armies. He has all the wealth. What is he afraid of a shepherd boy? Why are they afraid of us? We don't have any power. We don't got the money. We don't have George Soros in our back pocket. We don't have Bill Gates in our back pocket funding us. We don't have all that. Why are they so afraid of Christians? Why is that? Why are they turning law enforcement agencies on us? Why do they have the media turning on us? Why are they afraid? Right. They can't control us. And we are a threat in, in many, many ways, even though we don't have wealth, even though we don't have power, we are the threat to their kingdom that they're trying to establish. We stand in the way of that kingdom being established and that dynasty. And the dynasty is the one world government, obviously, right? That they're trying to establish. We stand in the way. Do you want to know how bad they fear us and how bad of a threat we are to them? Let me show you some stories. Facebook spied on messages of conservatives questioning 2020 election, sent them to the FBI. That just came out today, I think. Facebook has been spying on private messengers and data of American users. The company has reportedly been informing the FBI of users that express anti-government, anti-authority uh, authority sentiments, 
And sources within the DOJ allege that the company also reported users that questioned the validity of the 2020 election. That's me. That's me. Now, I don't use Facebook, but I, I, on YouTube, Rumble, all that, I'm dead in the water. I've come against that. And if you have done that on your social media, guess what? Facebook has done that to you too. Do you see what's getting set up? Why is questioning the election such a threat to them? Because they did it when Trump got in. They, th they questioned the election then. Said it was Russia, Russia, Russia. But now you can't question it. Why is that a threat for us questioning them? Why is it, why? You, I think you know the answer. Look at this. Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono, she's out of her mind, by the way. Totally crazy. Issues a call to arms when debating abortion ban. Yeah, she said it. Hirono concluded her speech by saying that the proposed abortion ban after 15 weeks is literally a call to arms in our country. She wants to fight. A call to arms? Yeah, that's the rhetoric now. I guess us pro-lifers are a big threat to them, aren't we? We are a major threat. She must be scared to death if she is calling up arms. It sounds like King Saul. We've got to kill David. Look at this one. Miami Herald warns that Christian rhetoric could mobilize fringe mobs. Well, if you read the article on PJ Media, they're, talk, they're calling us white Christian nationalists. And you say, well, I'm not white. It doesn't matter. If you're a conservative Christian, they're going to lump you in with white Christian nationalists, okay, that are racist and homophobic and all that stuff. So now they're saying we're causing mobs. We can cause mobs to start happening. Why are they so afraid? Look at the American thinker. Democrats aren't just persecuting Republicans, they're baiting them. Now, this is what I've been telling you guys. The Biden administration's accelerating persecution and prosecution of Republicans who dared question the bizarre presidential election that broke with all norms going back more than two centuries. This is going to end with Donald Trump's indictment, it says. Uh, again, this is an opinion piece, okay? My guess is that the indictment will take place before the election because Democrats want to trigger a violent response that will justify halting the elections and possibly imposing some form of martial law. I can't believe I'm writing that, but all the indications are there. They're goading us. You see, they want a fight. Let's keep, let's, let's keep doing this and see if they retaliate. That's kind of what David was, uh, Saul was doing to David. He put him in the fight. Eventually, he's going to die. I told you on, showed you on this uh, Wednesday, yesterday, Kathy Griffin, if you don't want a civil war, vote Democratic. But if you want a civil war, vote Republican. Okay, civil war, huh? Tim Ryan, we need to kill and confront extremist Republican movement. Oh, kill and confront. Thank you. Nice language. Mike Liddell, FBI confiscated cell phone drive through at Hardee's. I talked to you about that last night. Why? He, he, he went after the election, right? He questioned the election. Trump supporter says FBI came to her door after Biden's anti-MAGA speech to intimidate her with anonymous tip that she was at January 6th Capitol. Well, she wasn't. But the FBI showed up. Isn't there a better way 
to find out if she's been part of January 6th, and then sending the FBI a pre-dawn raid at her house with guns. Isn't there a better way than that? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, it's Saul. It's King Saul all over the place, right? Life news. Not one abortion activist has been arresting or for firebombing, attacking pregnancy centers or churches. Not one. What does that tell you? They're not going after their own. They're just, hey, go firebomb these Christians. Go firebomb these, pro, these pro-life places. It's Saul. And so J- Jason Whitlock had a, a good story today, uh, explains that Steve Bannon's arrest means you're next. You're next. They're not, they're not done. So I show you that to realize they're throwing spears at you. You're next. You're not going to be able to avoid the spear. Saul is in charge right now. You're David, and he's wanting to get rid of you because you threatened the dynasty. Okay, so Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. So God bless Jonathan, great guy. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in the secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Hey, it's always good to have someone in the trenches with you. This is amazing that this is Saul's son, Jonathan. And and Jonathan already realizes by David defeating Goliath, that, hey man, the throne belongs to him. He has already given David weapons and clothing and his robe, which is symbolic of handing the dynasty over to David just for simply killing Goliath. Jonathan's a great guy. He's the most humble guy. Who, what kind of guy who is in power, he's the next in line to be king, gives it over to David? That's amazing. That's amazing. You think Charles would have done that? Not that crazy globalist. He wants that power, right? He's been, he, you, you, you gotta know in watching this guy, he's been waiting, when's mom gonna die? When's mom gonna die? She's already 93. She's already 94. She's got, it's gotta be this year. He waited all those years and that guy's nearly dead. So <laughs> the joke's on him. He's been a, a huge failure for the, the whole monarchy. What a joke. Anyway, I do digress. And I will go out and stand beside him. And so I'm going to tell you. So here's what happens. Thus, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. This is amazing. No one does this. And said to him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. He's done nothing to you, right? And because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, Goliath. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. He's a national hero. He's Rambo. We don't put Rambo in jail. We don't kill Rambo. Right? That's what they did to Rambo, right? Remember they tried to kill him and wipe him out? Same story. Um, this guy's a national hero. We can't do it. You saw it and you rejoiced. You were, ha- you were there. Look what happened. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? Well, let's put this in modern day language. You people don't like America? This is what gave you the freedom that you have now. And you want to take it away? 
What are you, an idiot? Our constitution, our, our, our founding fathers defeated Goliath by breaking away from uh, Britain. Founded this country in Judeo-Christian Britain. And you want to do this, Saul? You want to destroy everything that was built to get you to this point? Remember, Saul is a mad king. He doesn't care what national heroes are. He doesn't care what's been done for the country. What does Saul care for? Himself. That's why they hate America. They're all about power. They're all about themselves. And, and Jonathan's trying to say, don't you know our history? Look what he's done. We're freed of the Philistines. We've we enslaved them now. No, not with a Saul. Not with Joe Biden. Not with Gavin Newsom. Not with all these guys. Because it's not about that. It's about their power. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. Oh, I'm shocked, but it's not very long. And Saul swore, <laughs> this is fake. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Liar. Liar. It's like, we don't have inflation. I don't know what you guys are talking about. We don't have inflation. I swear, we don't have inflation. You, you see the same thing? I'm swearing, it's not happening. What you see is not happening. Energy credit, it's not happening. It's not happening. It's like Jedi mind tricks every time I hear Biden. That's not happening. Gas prices are lowering. Right? And I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. At least he's trying to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's not working for me. I'm like Jabba the Hutt. It doesn't work on me. Anyway, then Jonathan called David. Hey. And Jonathan told him all these things. So did Jonathan brought David to Saul. Oh, Miss Snake, that's a big mistake. Biden's in his right mind. Come on back. And he was in, the pre, uh, in his presence in, as in times past. Huh. Let's see how that works out. It's like the good old days, right? No. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. Typical David Rambo. He, he, this guy's a mean motor scooter, man. That guy can fight. He's, he's, a, he's a warrior poet. The guy can make beautiful songs and yet take down 10,000 Philistines. Man, this guy, it's unbelievable what this guy's doing. But what happens? A distressing spirit. That's that demon that keeps coming back to him and harassing him from the Lord came upon Saul and he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. There it is. There's the spear in his hand again. Why does every time I see Saul, he has a spear in his hand? Because that's how those kings operate. They operate out of power and fear. And so they have to hold on to their weapons. And David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. Again. But what did David do? He slipped away from Saul's presence. And he drove the spear into the wall. And so David fled and escaped that night. That's twice. That's twice. Man, you burn me once, but burn me twice? Hey, we're not playing this game anymore. Here's my question. What if David struck back? Because a lot of times in these scenarios, David was by himself with Saul, soothing him, as that, that, like this picture shows. 
well, or the previous picture right here. It was just him and, and Saul, and he was playing this harp to keep Saul calmed down because he was being demonically harassed. So David's music actually drove away the demons. Beautiful biblical music would drive them away. They couldn't take it when David played. But it's one-on-one. -on -one. So I want you to think about this. So when Saul goes crazy, he gets a spear and of course is aiming at David in this room and misses him. David will duck or dodge or whatever he does. How come David doesn't pick up that spear and like normal people would have done, threw it right back at him and killed him? Because is it, doesn't he have a right to defend himself? Why didn't he pick up the spear and say, uh-uh, no one's gonna try to kill me. Here's the spear back and right through your chest. You're dead. I'm not doing this. At least on the second time. At least on the second time. You've done it once, but at least on the second time, I'm not letting you get away with that again. Throw another spear at me. Why didn't he do it? Okay, someone said it. Saul is king. That means he's anointed. Now, I know the hypercharismatics get this all wrong. You ever heard them say, well, don't touch thy anointed, and then they refer to their pastor as that? Uh-uh, you can't do that with pastors. That term, don't touch the anointed, has to do with the kings of Israel. Okay, they were anointed. Saul is actually anointed, by the way, by Samuel. Even though he's a, 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 def, a defunct king He's, he doesn't follow the Lord. He still was anointed. He's put in that position by the authority of Samuel. And so therefore, he has special protection. David doesn't retaliate and defend himself because he can't. Because the scriptures tell him, you cannot come after the king. I don't care how crazy he is. Uh, he is. You cannot attack him, David. And that's why you will not see David fight because he's obeying the Lord in this. And he will wait on the Lord to tell him what to do. Now, again, please don't take this and apply it to like an attacker comes to you and, and that's not what we're talking about. You can have the right to defend yourself. So you arm yourself and you have your guns and you defend yourself. But in this situation, it's different. He can't, he can't by God's word, go after Saul. Okay, he just can't because he will get punished for that. Okay, so anyway, going back to this, the issue is, and this is the principle, it is about what God wants us to do in the situation and not about what we think we should do. And again, David's operating on law. He's obedient to that, that law. I can't do that. And, and, and he probably wanted to, right? And knock this off. But, and he thinks he should, but he's going to refrain. There is a time later on when David gets really close to killing him. And he gets so close that he cuts his edge of his robe off. And he regrets even doing that because he's afraid of the consequences of even touching the robe of Saul and, and cutting it off. So David's really cognizant of this, okay? Okay, follow me. Here is where the restraint is revealed. And this is revealed in 1 Samuel 26. But David said to Abshai, now this is another time where he had a chance to kill him. Another, he had several. And he's sleeping in the tent and they were able to go past the guard and come in there, David and Abishai. But David said, do not destroy him. 
For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. What did he just say? I'm giving the matter over to God. God will take care of him and kill him his own way. However, God wants to kill him. I'm not going to go there because I can't. So therefore, I will hand over the spear chucker to God. Oh, okay. For the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So as a warning to Saul to stop this. So there is the biblical admonition of don't touch him. You can't touch him. Okay. The principle is this. Those in the line of King Saul use their power and authority to throw spears at their threats. Okay. Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, the list goes on, right? But here's what happens. They end up with nothing but their skill at throwing spears. Their weapons, they're left with just their weapons and they're left with their madness. This is the penalty part. And they lose the very things they needed. What did Saul need? He needed David. He needed David in his army and he needed David in the court and he needed David for his own personal relief from the demons. And he lost David. And what these spear chuckers don't realize is that they're losing good people around them. You look at our school systems here in Kern County. The board is a bunch of spear chuckers. And nobody that's good wants to be around the spear chuckers because they don't want a spear thrown their way. And so what happens? These people are left alone to do their dirty work and the good people get out. They retire, they leave. Talk to any of our law enforcement. What's going on in law enforcement? The good law enforcement are leaving, right? Look, talk to anybody in our military. The good guys in the military are leaving because the military is going woke and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, vaccinating people. That's what happens to spear chuckers. They don't have any good people around them. Look at the, the circus around Biden. Did you see the last guy I showed on Sunday? Um, he's the new monkeypox director. He's a Satanist. And then our national uh, secretary, I don't know what these, secretary of energy is a transgender dude. And then they got another little guy to help him. And I don't even know what his duty is. But he's another transgender. And so we got a circus going on. Why? Because there's no good people left. But how about David principle? Those in the line of David, those who, do, uh, who follow in that kingly line are willing to live with threats and pain. That's what David is doing. He's willing to take it. Now he's gonna be dodging but he lives under a crazy king. We would tell him to move to Idaho, move to Texas. We would tell him, David, you gotta get out of there. And he doesn't, he doesn't. He understands he needs to be here for whatever purpose God has for him. And I'll show you in just a bit. 
And so he's willing to tolerate the pain and the threats and the spears coming his way. What line do you want to be in? The line of Saul or the line of David? Because in the line of David, you must suffer. You must take the pain. You must be in a position to allow spears to be thrown at you. You don't have to stand and take it. You can dodge, but spears will be thrown at you in the line of David. Okay? The application is we must learn to deal with spear-throwing kings because if we are struck by one and you get that spear in you and it finally hits your heart, then we might become like King Saul. Bitter, envious, angry, murderous, and crazy at the end of it all. If you get hit with a spear, that's what can happen to you. So you have to be ducking. You have to be dodging. Well, let's, do, let's get more specific. How do you deal in an environment where they're throwing spears at you? Number one, don't learn how to throw the spear. David never picked up that spear and threw it back. So what I mean by that and what the scripture is trying to tell you is do not use their weapons of warfare. You use God's. God's is the full armor of God and the main weapon, the sword, which is the word of God, is your weapons, right? That's what David is using. He is not using the weapon Saul. Remember, he wouldn't even put Saul's armor on. Remember that? No, because David fights differently. He fights with the weapons of God, not the weapons of the world. The spear represents the weapon of the world. And he refuses to use it on Saul. He will not retaliate back with the same thing. So when they lie about you, don't lie about them. Right? When they come after you, don't do the same tactics. Because you're no better than them if you use the same tactics, right? And you have to dodge the spear. If you're going to live with a king, throwing, uh, a king that throws spears at you, you better learn to dodge. And what does that mean? You better have discernment. You better be able to see the spear when it's being thrown. You think David's looking down? No, he's watching Saul. Wham, and, he, and he's moving all, he's ducking and, and, and juking and dodging anything he can not to be hit by that spear. What does that mean spiritually? It means he's watching. What did, the, what did Jesus say about us? Watch therefore. Watch therefore. You have an enemy that's prowling, looking for whom he came to devour, and you better watch for him. So the idea is you better have your antennas up and your radar on for what's coming after you and what's coming after your family. For instance, look at this. Did you dodge this bullet? Let me ask you if you dodged this bullet, or spear, I should say. The CDC chief uh, admits agency gave false information about vaccine safety monitoring. They admit it now. Can I go back and tell everybody that called me a liar and, and say, you now you have to admit that, uh, that you were wrong and I'm right? I wish I could. They called me crazy. But look at this. The agency gave false information about COVID-19 vaccine safety monitoring on VAERS, okay? The CDC never conducted a PRR during 2021 like they said they were going to. They didn't which means that the, the rates on VAERS were lower than what they should have been, okay? 
the true death toll from COVID-19 vaccines is 41 times higher. They lied. The website VAERS analysis used whistleblowing data from the CMS, at, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to come up with their estimated unreporting factor of 44.64. They weren't telling us the true numbers of how many people had adverse reactions or who died. Who's going to jail? But no one, because in a spear-chucking dynasty, those who work for King Saul don't go to jail. It's the Davids that do, that question it. Let me ask you this, though. Did your discernment, did your spiritual discernment keep you from that spear? You see what I'm saying? That's how you avoid spears, is you, your eyes are open spiritually to what's happening and what are they trying to do to you? What are they trying to do to my kids? What are they, what are they coming at after me? Here's another one coming after your kids. So you better have discernment right now. Executive order on advancing biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovative for sustainable, safe, and secure American bioeconomy. Sounds big and fancy, and most people won't even think about this. This executive order was signed September 12th, 2022. So a few days ago. What does it mean? Oh, Biden's September 12th, 2022 executive order declares that Americans must surrender all human rights that stand in the way of transhumanism. Clinical trial safety standards and informed consent will be eradicated as they stand in the way of universally unleashing gene editing technologies needed to merge humans with AI. In order to achieve the societal goals of the new world order, crimes against humanity are not only legal but mandatory. And that's Karen Kingston, former Pfizer employee and current analysis who made that statement after reading the executive order. This is insane. This is them putting an executive order to practice transhumanism on our kids. You see what I'm saying? That's a spear. It is a spear that has now been chucked by King Saul. And it's now in the air. So what's your job? I've got to take my family and duck. I've got to dodge with my family and duck because that's a spear that's coming. And if I don't watch, that spear will strike me right in the chest. It'll strike my kids. You see what I'm saying? Three, try not to be around spear throwers if you can. Well, what do you mean? Get away from those who want to hurt you and hurt your kids. Get away from them. And accept the fugitive life. What do you mean, the fugitive life? David will be a fugitive for 20 years. He's out of the mainstream now. He's out of decent society anymore. He's not part of Israel at that point in time. He's on the run from Saul for 20 years. And unfortunately, that's coming to us where you and I will have to go underground. You are not accepted in this society anymore. You are persona non grata now. You are a white Christian nationalist. You understand that? 
And they're dehumanizing you at that point, which means you and I will have to create a parallel economy, a parallel community. Because your kids will not fit into society if you teach them biblical values and they espouse that in society. So what David's life represents tells you and I, oh, so I have to now rethink my life about how I'm going to function. That doesn't mean I go and live in the desert like a desert monk. It just means that I'm not gonna be accepted in society. In fact, it probably means that my economic levels will be curtailed in, as, what, as what I can make because the companies I work for are woke. Or how about if I work in the industry sector? They're going green. What does that mean for my industry? What does that mean for my work? if I work in the energy industry. You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't mean that we're going to the, the caves and we're gonna hide out. It just means this is what it will be as a second-class citizen. And that's what David became, a second-class citizen. They would throw rocks at David. Did you know that? They rejected him. He would walk through and they would mock him and throw rocks and all kinds of crazy stuff. And David never, never retaliated. It was in a fugitive state. You have to get ready to go into a, almost a fugitive mindset that I'm not welcomed in, in, in decent society anymore. And that's okay. Are you okay with that? That's how David lived. Droves of Americans ditching public schools. I wonder why. So... If we can't go to the public schools, what do we do? Well, you're, you're a fugitive mindset. Homeschool, private school, whatever. We're, we're starting the school. Those kinds of things are option now because, because people are saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this to my kid. Fourth, understand why the Lord has placed us under the authority of a spear-wielding king. Intr and that involves introspection. Now, remember I started off the lesson of asking you to remember all your bosses. I asked you to remember all your coaches or whoever's ever been in charge of you at some point in your life. And you're gonna come up with the answer that's gonna shock you and it shocked me. Why did I have to go through all those lame brain bosses? Why did I have to experience all the lame brain coaches that I ever had to deal with? Why does David have to deal with Saul for 20 years of him trying to kill him. To see the King Saul inside of us and to drive it out of us. God did not want David to turn into Saul 2.0. And in order to prevent David from following in Saul's line, I'm going to have Saul persecute you so you never become like him. And you are broken and humbled when you become king in 20 years. But it's going to take 20 years to drive out Saul inside of you, David. And in fact, here's the message. David, Saul is inside each one of us. 
and to drive him out internally out of you, I've got to bring him from the outside to persecute you. You will be persecuted by your own inner self to drive it out. And now I understand the answer of why I've always had bad bosses and can only count on a handful of the good coaches or good bosses. I get it now. You know why? He was showing me, I don't want you like them. I don't want you like him, and I don't want you like him, and I don't want you like him. I saw all the flavors of the month with these bad bosses and bad coaches. I saw them all. And each time God was saying, I don't want you like him. I don't want you like him. I don't want you like him. And it it was hard. I couldn't figure it out. I kept saying, why in the world you keep putting me in these situations with these idiot bosses, with these egotistical, arrogant, know-it-alls? Why is that? Because that's you, Brandon. That's you. And I don't want you being like them, so I'm going to show you and let you suffer under them to drive that junk right out of you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's humbling. You mean to tell me, God, that every one of those coaches were like me? Yes, that's exactly what I was telling you. All those bosses that were creeps, that's exactly what I was telling you. They're you. And I'm not going to have Saul 2.0 with you when you finally don't have a boss. And the same would apply to you. Don't, Don't get bittered up about the bad people in your life that had authority over you and treated you bad. It was actually treating you a le- teaching, treat, uh, teaching you a lesson about you. He did not want that in you. And so he put a mirror in front of you to get a taste of what you would be like if he didn't change you. Wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what the lesson we can learn from Saul the king, the spear-chucking king. We have them a lot today, but boy, howdy, it's inside of us too. Father, help us to do that introspection that we need to, to do, to realize that the people you've put in our lives were to teach us about us and to teach us not to be like that. We would never learn the lesson had we not had to undergo that, just like David did. We thank you for that, Father. That's a hard lesson, Father. That's humbling but we appreciate it because it drove that out of us. And and we said to ourselves, we will never be like that. We will never be like that. Thank you, Father, for rescuing us from ourselves. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen.